Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Happy Mother's Day to you. So glad that uh, we get to spend this day together. This is one of my favorite days of the year, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, we have our baby child dedication service. We thought nice little treat that Kara and Noah put together for us to have our junior church kids uh, come up and, uh, and, and sing for us, uh, share some of the things going. There's some great things happening in our faith kids ministry right now and in our faith students ministry. And we hope that if you have a child in your life that is 18 or under, that they have found their place in our faith student ministry or in our faith kids ministry. Uh, speaking of, our Vacation Bible School is coming up this summer. Some great things are already uh, under under process. We they began building stuff uh, this weekend, getting ready for a wonderful uh, four days of Vacation Bible School in June. Uh, sign up is available now. You can sign up on our website or those of you in the room, when you leave here today, there's a there's like a zoo thing set up out there in the atrium. Uh, go to the table out there, get your kids signed up for Vacation Bible School um, this summer and during the month of June, uh, week during the month of June, and uh, you won't regret your kid or your grandkid or your neighbor kid or your niece or your nephew. Uh, you want them to be involved in, uh, in all the wonderful things that are happening in our faith kids stuff. Uh, once again, let me say to you, uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, this, this day um, is, is special to so many of us, and it's not easy on all of us, and we recognize that. Uh, so I have used this little piece written by a woman by the name of Amy Young for the last several years uh, to kind of express that a little bit. Uh, so let me use her words again this year as we use this as, as we begin to wish you a happy Mother's Day and celebrate this day. Amy Young writes this, and this is my prayer and blessing to you as well. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, or more than their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those of you who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment we walk with you forgive us when we say foolish things we don't mean to make this harder than it is to those who are foster moms mentor moms and spiritual moms we need you to those who have warm and close relationships with your children we celebrate with you to those who have disappointment heartache and distance with your children we sit with you to those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in this upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. <laughs> to those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness. 
and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you, and we love you. Let me pray for you, moms. Gracious and eternal God, we give you all thanks and praise with great joy, with gratitude, and with love in our hearts. God, throughout the ages, you have been faithful to your covenant people. In every time and every place, you have chosen servants from among your people to, to guide your people, to point the way, to help them see the good news in their lives and in the world. So God, we are grateful for these ancestors in the faith who followed you despite their own fears, their own misgivings, by placing their trust in you alone. So God, today on this Mother's Day, as we celebrate women, we pray for each other, for the mothers, for the sisters, for the friends, the colleagues, the mentors in this space. For all the people who have paved the way for us, we give you thanks. For parents, for pastors, for teachers, for friends, for all who helped us, we give you thanks. And for your son, who came not to be served, but to serve, who came to give his life that all may have life, we give you thanks. And it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. I love the story that I heard recently of the mother who had eight children all under the age of 12. Do the math. That's, that's a little rough. Eight children all under the age of 12. Her husband was a young officer in the military. He was on the fast track, and he gets restationed to Germany. And so the family is going to have to move to Germany, and the husband has to go right away. So the wife and the eight children have to get the stuff packed up and make the move to Germany, across the Atlantic to Germany, some weeks later. So here goes this mother, flying now across the Atlantic to Germany with eight children, all under the age of 12. When they arrive in Germany, they're going through customs at the airport, and the gate agent, the customs agent, asks her in his German, broken, in broken English through his German accent, are, are you traveling? With, do you have anything to claim? She kind of looks at him funny. Do I have anything to claim? Do you have anything to claim? He looks, she looks down at the row of the eight children following behind her. What? Ma'am, do you have, are, are you traveling with any guns or drugs? She says, guns or drugs, sir? I just traveled across the Atlantic with eight children. If I had guns or drugs, I would definitely have used them by now. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, moms, I hope you get the honor that you are due today. Uh, speaking of moms, uh, we had some big news in our family pop up this week. Let me show you a picture. Big news in my family. Ah, that is not my kid. No, 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 no big surprises. That's my nephew, my, uh, my, my, uh, my wife's husband. Um, had a baby this week. Well, he didn't so much as his wife did, but they had a baby this week. That's Elijah Bearsharf. We're uh, really proud aunts and uncles here in Ohio. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, what did I say? Don't tell, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Don't, I don't want to know what I said. Yeah. yeah, we might need to edit the podcast. Whatever just happened there. Woo! I don't, yeah. yeah I've been living in Appalachia too long, haven't I? All right. <laughs> Let me just say this, other than trying to speak in public, parenting is the hardest job you'll ever love. <laughs> it's hard because every culture has values and priorities 
and narratives that threaten children and threaten children's development of faith. And so to steer our conversation today, I want us to look at the story of one of the great moms in the Bible, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. When we pick up her story, um, we're picking up a time in, in the history of God's people where God's people, the, the, the Hebrews, are captives in a country called Egypt. You've heard of it. And the Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt at this time in history, has become concerned about the growing population of the Hebrew people in his country. Even though they're slaves, even though they're doing all the manual labor, they're doing all the hard work, these Hebrews, he's beginning to get worried because there's so many of them and their population is growing and growing and growing. So he begins to sow a, a, a narrative, tries to convince the Egyptian people um, uh, this narrative of bigotry, and distrust, and he convinces the Egyptian people that the Hebrews are now a threat to them and to their way of life. But all of his attempts to slow down the population growth of the Hebrews have failed. So finally, kind of when we get to the narrative here in the first couple of chapters of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh has just blatantly at this point, instead of trying to slow it down, he just says, he just proposes genocide. There's no other way to say it. Genocide. Here's his plan. We're going to throw every baby Hebrew boy into the Nile River. Just throw them away into the river. Imagine living under that kind of world and that kind of pressure. That's where we'll pick up the story, Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She, Pharaoh's daughter, she named him Moses, meaning I drew him out of the water. Now later on in the book of Exodus, we're going to learn that the baby's parents, the two parents in this story are named Amram, that's the dad, and the mom's name is Jochebed. Now Amram and Jochebed, when we get to the story of Moses here in Exodus, they already have two children. They have a precocious and talented daughter by the name of Miriam, beautiful name, and they have a three-year-old son who is already more articulate than most kids his age. His name is Aaron. And when Amram comes home one day from a hard day of making bricks, he sees a look on his wife's face, and he can't tell if it's joy or fear or both. It turns out it's both. As she says, I'm pregnant. She is now expecting a child. 
Now, put this in the historical context. If the child is born and the child is a boy, that child is now going to be subject to the genocide. So can you imagine for nine months, Amram and Jochebed have to live with this fear. What do we do if it's a boy? What, what do we do? Imagine living daily with the fear that your child's ethnicity could put your child in danger. Imagine being a Jewish mama in Eastern Europe in the 1930s as the Nazi regime is coming to power. Imagine being a mother in the former nation of Yugoslavia when that country tore up and the ethnic cleansing began. Or during the genocide in Rwanda just a few years back. Or let's just own it. The history of our own nation that simply being a different ethnicity could put your life in danger. That's what they're living with. That's the pressure they're living with for these months. You see, typically, when you have a baby boy, you throw a party, you send out the birth announcements. You don't do that when the Pharaoh has said, hey, we're going to throw all the baby boys into the river. But instead of cowering, this is a story of parental resolve and courage and faith. When we get over to the New Testament, some centuries later, the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us some insight into Moses' parents. The, the writer writes this, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I always get a little tickled by that phrase. They saw he was no ordinary child. Does any parent not say that about their own kid? Hey, think about it for a minute. Does any parent say, well, this is my daughter, and she's so talented, and she's artistic, and she's gifted and super smart, and this is our son, and he is so athletic, and he's just a captain of everything, and he's great. Oh, and this is our other child. They're just ordinary. You, you don't say that about your kid. No one does that. But here's what we know. The birth of a child often ignites a rebirth of faith. And I know that's a lot of your story as well. Some of you were not even walking with God until you became a parent. Something clicked in your mind, and your mind said, there's something else to this. Some of you may have walked away from God, but something about becoming a parent brought you back to the Lord. Something about becoming a parent made values more real to you and more important to you. So even as Jochebed delivers Moses, God delivers Jochebed from the fear that she has no say in the future of her son. So she thinks of the one place that the military police would never think to look for a Hebrew baby boy, the same place they're using to kill the babies, the Nile River. She gets this basket, coats it with tar and pitch, puts her son in the basket. Now, she doesn't just send the boy floating down the river. She secures the basket in among some reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Notice, not so the baby would be hidden. She puts him there on purpose so that the baby will be found. Jochebed knew the bathing habits of the royal palace, Pharaoh's daughter, and she is counting on, on the, you know what this is, the common female compassion to rescue her son. She's believing that when that woman hears a baby crying, something deep within her is going to respond with mercy. 
Jochebed takes her daughter, the older one, Miriam, and they practice. You imagine the, over and over again, they're practicing. M Miriam, now, honey, honey, this is what's going to happen. We're going to put the baby in the basket. We're going to put the basket in the reeds, and you're going to stand by. Here's what's going to happen, and they're going to come. They're going to find the baby. When they find the baby, you're going to walk up to them. Here's what you're going to say, Miriam. Let's practice. Make sure you know all your lines. Come on, Miriam. You can do this. You're a big girl. We're counting on you, Miriam. This is a brilliant mother planning this. By the way, I don't think the author of Exodus wants us to miss the fact <laughs> that Pharaoh, the mightiest man on earth, keeps having his plans ruined by women. In chapter 1, there's two Hebrew midwives that won't kill the babies like he wants. In chapter 2, this Jewish mama and this little Jewish girl upset his entire plan. Reminds me of a story I heard of a family who's gathered in the hospital, dearly loved family member is terminal in the hospital, in the ICU, and the family's gathered around. The doctor comes in to talk to the family. The doctor says, I'm sorry, the, the news is just not good. The only hope we have, and it's not great, but the only hope we have is to do a brain transplant. And brain transplants are very expensive. So the family asks, well, how much do they cost? Well, uh, the doctor says, well, it's, it's $2 million for a, a, a man's brain, and, well, it's $200,000 for a woman's brain. Well, you can imagine the men in the room got a good chuckle out of that, didn't they? They all had a pretty good chuckle. So one of the women in the family finally asked, well, why is that? Well, why does a man's brain cost so much more than a woman's brain? The doctor said, well, that's just a standard pricing policy we have, standard pricing practice. We have to mark down the cost of a woman's brain because a woman's brain's been used. <laughs> Jacobet has used her brain here, hasn't she? And she winds up, did you catch this? She winds up getting paid to do exactly what she wants to do to nurse and to raise her own son. But know that she and Amram did more than just nurture their son physically in those first few years. They have a few, just a handful of years, impressionable years to pour deeply into their son and have him drink deeply from the faith of their fathers. And they deliver to their son a story. They, they, they indwelled in him a story that is going to combat all the stories that he's going to hear growing up in Pharaoh's palace. And, he's, and this, this story of God and God's people, this story is going to inspire their boy to one day become the deliverer of God's people. I think our children today need parents with that same kind of faith. So let me use Jacobed as my inspiration and show you three ways that faith can impact the next generation. The first one is this. Faith insists that, that God has a purpose for every child. Why did God choose Moses? Why not choose Aaron? Aaron's old enough that the edict doesn't, doesn't affect him. Aaron's already been born. He's a very smart young man. He's very articulate. Why don't you, you just use Aaron, God? Well, maybe God wanted the chosen deliverer to experience deliverance himself. I just recently realized that we don't know Moses' birth name. We don't know what Amram and Jochebed named their son. The name Moses is not the Hebrew name. It's the Egyptian name. It's the name that Pharaoh's daughter gives him when he comes to live with her when he's about three years old. We don't know what Amram and Jochebed named their son. 
Pharaoh's daughter called him Moses because she delivered him up out of the water. We don't know what his birth name was. I suspect it was a strong name, a name of resolve and character and courage. You know, like Larry, a good name, good strong name. Think about this. Every time young Moses heard his name, the Egyptian name, Moses, he was reminded that he had been rescued. Because the name means drawn up out of the water. He was reminded he had been rescued. Every time he heard his name, he remembered he had been delivered when it seemed hopeless. God has a reason for every child to be born. I think that's what it means when it says he was no ordinary child. I think what it means is that there's a reason God wants right now, in this time, in this moment, for us to have another baby. Parents... I know how this works. Parents may not mean to get pregnant, but no child is an accident. No child is just ordinary to the Father in heaven. Paul says to the Ephesians that God saw us and he chose us long before the foundation of the earth. I love the way the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible translates this verse, Ephesians 1.11. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. What a beautiful promise. Long before we heard of him, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Children need to know that they are special to God. Somehow Amram and Jochebed instilled this into their son. Children need to know that they are special to God. Hey, 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 mom, hey, dad, you need to know, parent, you're special to God too. And he's given you an amazing role to parent that child. Moms and dads, you are special to God. Here's the second thing I want to say to you today. Faith resists enemy attempts to claim the next generation. The result of faithful parenting. Faith resists enemy attempts to claim the next generation. Amram and Jochebed did not passively resign to the demand of the prevailing culture to control the future of their children. They were determined to raise their kids in Egypt, but not of Egypt. And they did. Again, the words of the writer Hebrews. This is centuries after, after the time, but commenting about the faith that Moses' parents had. This is what the writer of Hebrews said. It, is by, it was by faith that Moses... When he grew up, refused to be called the son of the king of Egypt's daughter. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin uh, for a short time. He thought it was better to suffer for the Christ and have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. I, I don't know what they did for those first few years when baby Moses was growing up in Amram and Jochebed's home, but there are two things that these parents instilled in their son that took root. The first one is this, and this is so important. They gave their son an incredible sense of identity. They taught him who he was. Because he chose not to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be known as a son of the people of God. Parents, we must intentionally challenge the identity narratives of our culture that are trying to claim our kids. And there are all kinds of identity heresies floating around today from the right and from the left. There's the therapeutic model 
that says you let your deepest inner desires define who you are. And you find your identity in what you want and what you feel inside. Listen, nowhere in Scripture does it say that your, your desires are your chief identity. Or there's, there's the victim model that says you find your identity in being marginalized or oppressed. Listen, marginalization and oppression are real, they're an issue, but Scripture never says you find your primary identity in your victimhood. And now there's this frightening newer model that's growing in the world called nationalism. And all over the world you see this tribalism developing. Now I'm not, I'm not talking about patriotism, that's a good thing. I'm talking about the kind of bigotry that says we are us and you are not us and because you are not us we do not want you with us and can I just tell you there is a really really ugly Christian version of this where we wrap the flag around the cross and basically say you're not even a real Christian unless you're my kind of American I'm going to tell you the culture has all of these narratives out there to try to claim your child. So what we must do is speak to them and let them know you were created by God. You were made in the image of God. You were called by God. And your primary allegiance and your primary citizenship and your identity is to the kingdom of God. They did that for Moses. He knew who he was. I can't help but think when I was a young teenager growing up, every time I would leave, every single time I would leave the house, it got so annoying, my mom. Sorry, moms, but sometimes you get annoying. My mom, every single time I would leave the house, she would always say to me the same thing. She would say to me, I'm getting ready to go on a date, going to prom, going out with my friends. She would always say, hey, Remember who you are and remember whose you are. It annoyed me, but those words have stuck with me. I've not a teenager for a long time now. But I remember who I am and whose, that I'm a child of God and I represent him when I walk out the door. That identity was, for lack of a better word, beat into me. Moses' parents did that for him. Here's the second thing that Moses' parents instilled in their son. They instilled in their son a desire for God's reward more than man's. This kid, growing up, he could have had the best of Egypt. He is living in the, the king's daughter's home. He could have had the very best, the lap of luxury, but somehow he decides, I don't want the temporary. I am about more than just seeing how much pleasure I can pack into a lifetime. I want to hear the well done of God. Here's the thing. No child is an accident, and no child is going to accidentally escape the pull of culture. So moms and dads, we have to build baskets for our kids. I could not help but reflect this week on some of the baskets that my parents built for me. I know I surprised some of you. You were around very early in the early days of my ministry here at Faith Christian Church. This is back in the old building where I confessed that as a young person, I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church on Sunday morning. I got drugged to church on Sunday night. I got drugged to church on Wednesday night. I got drugged to church on Tuesday nights. I got drugged to church all the time. But you know what that was? That was a basket that my parents built for me. 
that going to church was a part of our lives. That being involved in a group of people who follow the same God and have the same core values in their life was an important part of the way we lived our lives. And being there was a priority for our family. That was a basket that they built for me. I learned by watching my parents that being generous with my money, with my time, was a better way to do life. That was a basket that they built for me. One of the baskets that they built for me were their Bibles. Their Bibles were always laying around on the coffee table, on the dining room table, on the kitchen table, on the kitchen counter. They weren't on a shelf. They were out because they used them. And I remember opening up my parents' Bibles, and there was notes written in the margins where they'd been studying Scripture. There were bulletins from church with sermon notes written where they had listened and, and, and learned and tried to apply what they learned in the Bible to their lives and to their family. That was a basket that they built for me. Another basket they built for me, I don't, I don't even know if they realized they were doing this. But one of, the, one of the baskets that my parents built for me was the way that they worshiped God. When we went to church, I remember standing beside my parents in church as they sang their praises to God. They were not afraid. They did not mumble the words. They never said, oh, I don't like this song, I'm not singing it. No, they never did that. They sang out in full gusto and full voice. And even today, in their 70s, my mom suffering the effects of a couple of strokes in her wheelchair, still at church every Sunday morning, singing through her slurred speech, praising God. That's a basket they built for me. Parents, we have to build baskets for our kids. Here's the last one. We're running out of time. Last thing that faith does, faith persists because it knows that God can deliver. Faith persists because it knows that God can deliver. Did you notice when I read that long text from Exodus chapter 2, the first 10 verses of Exodus, the, the story of Jochebed and Amram and baby Moses? Did you notice that long text, all of that, that section, those verses? I did not say one time, I did not one time say the name God. Not one time. God is never mentioned in that text. But he's all over that story, isn't he? You ever feel like you're trying to raise kids all by yourself? I hope this story will help you remember that God is always at work, even when you can't see him. And the plans of God will not be stopped. They will not be thwarted by the schemes of men. Just look at all the different ways that God turned the tables on Pharaoh. Just in this short story, Pharaoh's means of execution, the Nile River, became Moses' means of salvation. Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to let the girls live, but I'm just going to kill the boys. And one of the girls that got to live becomes a major player in the redemption plan. A mother saves her son by doing what Pharaoh ordered her to do. She put her baby in the river. A member of the royal court is going to raise the boy that is going to destroy the royal court. And a mother, I love this part, a mother gets paid to do what the powers said she could not do. Basically, I'd say it like this. Pharaoh picked a fight with the wrong God. So moms and dads, trust in God, like Amram and Jochebed did. It's the hardest job you'll ever love. But trust in God, because here's the thing. You are going to have to entrust your kid to God. So trust God to get you there. It took great faith for Jochebed to build that basket and put her baby in the basket and put her baby in the river. I think it took even more faith three years later for her to take her young son and put him in Pharaoh's daughter's palace.
And she delivered Moses to Pharaoh's daughter because she believed that God would deliver him from Pharaoh's control. Here's the thing. We don't save our kids. God does. And he loves your kid more than you do, which I know is really hard to believe. But God loves your kid more than you do. So let me just speak a word before we close to all of you who are struggling to parent right now. What a hard job. Some of you are having to do it by yourself. Some of you are watching your kids make bad choices. Some might even have a child that's walked away from the Lord. But keep trusting God. Because we don't save our kids. God does. God is in the delivery business. So put your hope in God. I want us to pray together for our communion team. We'll go ahead and take their places, get ready to serve us. Let me just add as we move to this time of prayer. Somebody built your basket. Somebody built the basket for you. Maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it was your grandparents. It might have been a coach, a youth minister, a teacher, a neighbor. But somebody built the basket that rescued you. If they're alive today, I hope that you'll find a way today to thank them. But right now, I would like for you to thank God. You start the prayer. I'll finish in a minute. But would you just pray for just a moment? Would you thank God for the people that built your basket? You start the prayer. I'll finish. for all the people that stood with us all the people who fought for us all the people who guided us directed us, protected us nurtured us in the faith and in the church God today we honor them and we believe that by doing so we honor you because it was, it was not an accident that they were in our lives so God help us to become the people that they prayed over us to become help us to help the next generation to do the same. Give us more faith, God, in the future and in our kids. We pray this in Jesus' name.